I used the passage in uh, Acts today uh, in our, for our scripture reading. I, di- I did so to use it as a springboard to talk about 1 Peter chapter 1. I would have read 1 Peter chapter 1, but I'm afraid that some of you are probably beginning to think that that's the only chapter I know in the Bible and that I talk out of that chapter uh, incessantly. Well, I will, I will confess I love this letter from, from Peter. He communicates uh, truth so... Uh, clearly and so succinctly with a pastor's heart, and I, I hope you gain some encouragement today uh, from it. You know, you know how people have what they call life verses. You know, someone will say, "My life verse, you know, for me to live is Christ and die is gain," or something like that. You know, how many of you out there got a life verse? Anybody got a life verse? Yeah, a few of you got a life, a life verse. My, my, my life verse is, um, is, is um, Philippians three one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safety for you. That's my, that's my, my life verse. doesn't bother me to repeat, uh, to repeat myself, and things in this letter are worth repeating. I want to point out to you this morning three great uh, resurrection realities, three things that are in place because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, three important truths, and Peter Uh, says these right in the very beginning of this letter. I want to highlight them uh, for you. Peter starts the section with a word of praise in chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's your cue. Thank you. Thank you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There you go. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, is, Is there a word of praise in your heart whenever you think of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? Is there a word of praise that wells up? I mean, is it not, is it not thrilling? How can we be indifferent? How can we be indifferent if, if we're not moved by the gospel? If we're not grateful for the gospel, then it's unlikely that we know Jesus Christ because gratitude is the hallmark of the redeemed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, there's three realities I'm going to mention to you today. Reality number one is this, is that we are, or we experience new birth. A reality of the resurrection is that we experience new birth. Chapter 1, verse 3 says this, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Some of you will remember that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, when Nicodemus was asking him about spiritual things, and Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said to him, he said, listen, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the rule of God. You cannot see the purposes of God. You cannot see the plan of God unless you are born again. And that confused Nicodemus. He couldn't understand how that happens. He was thinking in natural terms But Jesus was talking about spiritual realities. He was saying you cannot experience spiritual realities, see into spiritual realities, understand who Jesus is without 
being born again. New birth, new creation, born again, these are all ways that the Bible is telling us that we must be brought to life spiritually. Why? Because apart from the resurrected Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead and in danger. Spiritually dead and in danger. Um, Jason, can, can you switch to the fighter verse uh, for this morning? Fighter verse this morning comes out of uh, Romans chapter 5, I believe, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the previous fighter verses, about the last four weeks or so, was a group of verses out of Ephesians chapter 2. And it goes something like this. I say something like this because I have a mishmash of translations in my head, but it goes something like this. And you were dead in, the trespass, in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following or satisfying the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in, am I close? And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, have you ever stopped at that little line? In order that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. This is good news. This is good news. We've been made alive. I love it when he says, God caused us to be born again. It all starts with God's initiative in reaching out to us and loving us and bringing us to life. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That same power that brought Jesus out of the grave dwells in you and me this morning, bringing us to life and empowering us to do the work that He calls us to do in this world world. That is the good news of the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made us alive. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and even that, not of yourselves. 
It's the gift of God. Resurrection reality number one is that we are born again. We experience new birth, new creation because of the cross. Second reality, we live in hope. We live in hope. Now, verse 3 again says, according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living Hope. Now, I'm not going to belabor this too much because we talked about it a good bit last Sunday, but you have to agree that hope is a precious and increasingly scarce thing in our progressively atheistic culture that we live in. Hope is a scarce thing. I, I don't mean that people don't have hope for the temporal things. Uh, in, in life and, and in this world, thank God that they do. Businesses are started, novels are written, movies are made, records are broken, uh, achievements are set, and uh, uh, discoveries are made, revolutions happen, all because people have hope that they can make a difference. Somehow they can make a significant mark. But here's the thing. Regardless of how high our aspirations may be or what we achieve, regardless, one thing is true for every single one of us. We all die. We all face death. That is true for every one of us. And nothing up to that point is going to make a lot of difference after that point. And see, here's, here's what we have to contend with and deal with. When, when Paul preached that sermon to the Athenians, he said these words, the times of ignorance God overlooked. What's he referring to? He means that all that time up to the coming of Jesus Christ, God graciously overlooked much doesn't mean that, it, that there was not uh, penalties, if you will, being stored up, but God overlooked it for a season until the coming of Jesus Christ. And he says, the former times of ignorance are over. God now commands people everywhere to repent. Listen, because He, He, not anything else, he has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. Well, who is that man? Who is the man that God has appointed as the judge who will one day judge every human being? <clears throat> well, we, we know who it is because of this line, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we know who that man is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, he is the one who will judge the world. Jesus will be God's appointed judge of all the world. And despite, despite all of our earthly accomplishments, we will stand before God we will stand before Christ as guilty sinners, all of us. The only difference 
is we'll either be spiritually alive or we'll be spiritually dead. If we're spiritually dead, then we get just what we've asked for. If we are found spiritually dead when we stand before God, then God will graciously give us exactly what we've asked for, an eternal conscious death separated from the one who is life and love. But if we are spiritually alive, then we, then we finish with the introduction and launch in to chapter 1 of this most amazing and greatest story ever to be told. I always love holding up a, a book, and I'll take and I'll, I'll, I'll hold the two pages up that are the introduction. A great book to do this with is Les Miserables, right? Because right? it's about that thick, right? So put that book down, hold up the introduction, and, and say, you know what this is right now? This is our life. This is our life. You know what the rest of this is? Greatest story imaginable. The greatest thing that could ever, ever be. And it's ahead of us. <laughs> I, I, um, I, don't, I don't know. Do you, how many of you have seen Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Um, yeah, I, I, love that. I love that little movie. A little Reaper Cheap, the mouse, the, the, the very elegant mouse, the, the warrior mouse. You know, he, they get to the shore of Aslan's country. And those of you who've seen the movie, remember, there's just this, this big wall of water, this wave that's just standing there. And Aslan lets them know that beyond that is his country. Beyond that, and, and Reepicheep, little mouse, just says he would consider it the greatest of honors if he could go to Aslan's land and see it. And I, I wish I had the clip. I would, have, I would have shown it to you this morning. But he goes and gets on this little upside down leaf umbrella thingy you know and he starts paddling and he paddles up the wave and just as he crests the wave there's this little gleam in his mouse eyes <laughs> this little gleam i think is he a mouse or a rat i think he might even be a rat he's big he's a big he's a huh he's a mouse He's a large mouse. Okay, sorry, sorry. So he's, <laughs> so, it's a Reaper Chief fan club over here. All right. So, so, but there's this little, there's this little gleam in his eye as he crests the wave, and you can just see him as his, they just start to get a little larger and a little gleam in his eye as he begins to see the rest, as he begins to see the real world, the real world, God's ongoing world. And if we're spiritually alive, we get to do that as well. We get to be a part of that. The age to come. The age to come. Back, back to those fighter verses for just a minute and listen to these verses one more time. But Verse 4 through 7, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, <laughs> so that in the coming ages, wow, in the coming ages, this is, we are in one age right now. 
We are in the church age, if you will, or something along those lines. We are in one age right now. This age will come to an end. And there are age, and there's not an age to come, there are ages to come. And it says, in the ages to come, God will demonstrate the riches. He'll show forth the riches of his kindness in grace to us. How? How? I'm going to go back to preaching again from last week. I got to be careful. How is he going to do that? Ready? Hear this verse in a whole new way. John, you're going to love this. By grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. When do those stop? It doesn't say. That in the ages to come, we might rejoice in our employment. We will be employed by God Almighty. He has created us for good works. God has prepared for us to walk in. You think we get to death and then, eh. <laughs> well, that's it, right? And then you're, just that, then you're just that little chubby cherubim sitting on the cloud, right, and looking really weird in paintings. No, 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 no. We are His workmanship, and we will continue in the works that God has prepared for us. In the ages to come, he's going to demonstrate his kindness by showing the ages to come his love and his grace and his mercy through us. Hallelujah. Man, I love that. I love it. All right. So, we live in hope. We live in hope. That's the inheritance we have. That's the unfading, undefiled, imperishable inheritance that Peter talks about. Now, here's number three. I couldn't figure out how to word this. I couldn't figure out how to word this. This is not the kind of thing that you would put on a travel brochure um, or that you would use in recruiting people to follow Jesus. (laughs) Peter says this, in this you rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, here's the thing. The third thing is our, our suffering is not wasted. Our suffering is not wasted. When we reflect on some of the suffering we see people go through, the word trials seems kind of flimsy, doesn't it? There's a particular suffering here that Peter has in mind. He isn't, he isn't talking about day-to-day annoyances. That's not what he's talking about. He's not, he's not even, in reality, here talking about the great sufferings of our human lives. He's not talking about that. Loss of a loved one, financial hardship or ruin, major health, whatever. He's not not talking about that here. And don't misunderstand me. All suffering, all pain is within the sovereign control of our Father. And we know that He's using all of it. He's using all of it to refine us, to to correct us, to shape us, to, 
to make us more like Christ. So, so even in that, we see purpose and meaning and clarity in our suffering, in our suffering, in our human living and the difficulties that living brings. We can see past it and we know that our suffering is not wasted because God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love Him. We are being made more like Christ as we endure in faith. But Peter here is talking specifically about persecution, about entering in to the sufferings of Christ. Last Sunday in Sri Lanka, as you know, there were followers of Jesus who were wounded and maimed and martyred because they identified with Jesus. It's happening all the time. It's happening all over the world. Christians are being persecuted, mocked, hurt, wounded, killed because they identify with Christ. These experience something that the Bible calls sharing in the sufferings of Christ. To share in the sufferings of Christ is to share in His rejection, to share in His experience of mockery, to share in His experience of pain, and ultimately to share in His death. Later in the same letter, chapter 4, he says this, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen, there is no, there is no trial in life, big or small, that God does not care about. He cares about every detail of our lives. He cares about our sorrows. He cares about our pains. God cares about it, and He gives us context for it in the scope of His plan. Our suffering has meaning it has context. We don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to be angry about it. We don't have to be embittered by it. We can trust God through it and know that He is at work in all of it. But, but the greatest glory is not only to know Him in the power of His resurrection. But also the fellowship of His suffering. Hard for us in our culture to connect this dot, these dots. Hard for us. We came in to get set up this morning. There was a triathlon going out outside. There were there were post, I mean, there were uh, 
cones and, and police officers, and regrettably, one set of the officers didn't know what the other set of the officers were doing, and, they, and, they, and one set of the officers would send people to the wrong place. And, they, and we had people walking here from the bowling alley this morning to, to, to set up. We were frustrated. We were annoyed. We were bothered. <laughs> Do you know what some people are going through to meet together today? To worship Jesus. <laughs> Listen to Paul's words to Timothy in his second letter to him. He said this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Make sure you see that little line the way it is. I endured, I endured. Well, we, we, we look at God's protection as, God, you're going to protect me from any suffering. You're going to protect, this is, the, you know, this is kind of the, uh, the, um, the happy Happy spiritual message that's shared across the airwaves in our, in our day, that if we just trust God, things are going to get all better and wonderful. God made no such promise. Here, here's a promise Jesus made. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. There's a promise for you, right? And Paul said, he said to Timothy, all these sufferings I endured, but the Lord rescued me from them all. You need to redefine your word rescue. Your word rescue, if it means God will keep me from suffering, you have not landed on the biblical idea of rescue. If your idea of rescue is this, that God will bring me through suffering and will not let go of me, will not lose me, will not lessen his grip on me, will take me through, bring me through, and I will be his, and I will be okay. Now you're closer to what the word rescue means. Hello? Now you're closer to it. And Paul said... I went through all of this. The Lord brought me through. And then in verse 12, he says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will experience some of the sufferings of Christ. If you die in this life before you have ever been persecuted or ever suffer for the name of Jesus, well, God bless you and be grateful. But there are so many of our brothers and sisters around the world in places like Sri Lanka, in places like Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan, brothers and sisters. In Pakistan, brothers and sisters in Myanmar and in North Korea, brothers and sisters in places where it is illegal to gather to worship. It is illegal to proselytize, to share your 
faith with others. Places where you can be imprisoned and forgotten for such things. And I don't, and I don't say that to, to put us under this big, you know, oh, we're cruddy Christians. Ah, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is be grateful. Be grateful that we have what we have right now, all right? But let's also be realistic and let's be willing to ask ourselves, what in my life is provoking anybody else? What about my life? I don't mean being a jerk, <laughs> okay? Especially a Christian jerk. They're the worst kinds of jerks. Don't, no. Don't, no. I'm not talking about that. What in my, as I follow Christ, as his, as his word is my guide, as, his, as kingdom values become my values, as I live resolutely to follow Jesus, what in my life is at cross current with others? And if, and if I never encountered that, I should at least reflect. Lord, Lord am, I, am I floating? Am I really allowing myself to be shaped more by the world around me than living the life of Christ in the world around me. I'm not telling you to go look for trouble. Don't, don't, no. <laughs> Just be faithful to Jesus. And if we're faithful to Jesus, at some point, things can get difficult. At some point, even in this country, things could get very difficult. At some point, our brothers and sisters in all the world could find themselves imprisoned or their lives taken for their faith in Christ. Here's what Paul said. He said, everything that went before, I count as rubbish. Or that I may know him and be found in him, having a righteousness not of my own, but that which is given to me through Christ. Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. God answered that prayer in Paul's life. He answered that prayer in the lives of those Peter was writing to. He answered that prayer in Peter's life. Let us be willing to pray that we might so stand with Christ that not only would we know the joy, the power of his resurrection, but the privilege of standing with him in his suffering. We come to this table week by week, and this table speaks to us. This table tells us you who come, who feed upon Christ, you who come with faith in your hearts toward Christ, you are a new creation. You have been born again. You have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. His suffering has redeemed you. We come to this table because this table tells us that we live in hope. We have hope for the ages to come. We have hope for the great things that God is going to do and involve us with in the ages to come. This meal points to a feast of joy. 
And we come to this table because here we remember Christ's suffering. And here, and here, David, here, we stand in solidarity with the church around the world. We stand in solidarity as we observe this brokenness, as we observe this spilled out blood. We stand in solidarity with all of our brothers and sisters. One loaf, one body, all those. We stand especially with those who are sharing in His sufferings today. Let us remember them as we come to His table today.